should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us here on the program. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. The Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Our producer, Dennis Cruz, is in the house. What? Uh, do you watch basketball? I I don't watch a ton of basketball, but lately, how can you ignore watching Steph Curry and the Warriors? Do you watch any of it? No. But- oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, easily ignored, evidently. Well, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying that you hit it right on the, the, the nail there. I mean, every bar, every restaurant you go to nowadays, uh, you know, broadcast the game just for that. Everybody's tuning in. This guy's in an, he's a phenomenon. I mean, even his peers, even the other great players, younger players, are like, this guy's playing so far above his head, it's nuts. And uh, it's exciting. So do I watch full games? Not a bunch, uh, but I definitely tune into the highlights. And, uh, you know, I'm not a bandwagon guy, but it's easy. Uh, Steph Curry seems like a great guy. And uh, the whole team, Clay Thompson and, and, you know, it's a great team. <laughs> and then the funny thing is, Michelle, is the uh, listening to the comments from a lot of the older ball players. Because nobody wants to, their negative comments. Oh, these guys wouldn't have done anything back in our day. We would have hacked them and we would have, you know, we would have stopped them down. Haters. Well, you know what that is? It's like you don't want to lose your legacy. Mm. And That seems you know, to happen a lot, especially, uh, I don't want to make a generalization, but with men. So speaking of, uh, you know, people who don't want to lose their legacy, if we turn it to the other side, are you paying attention to the presidential race? Uh, I, I, I don't know if you're tuning in, but uh, all that stuff is too much. just, ugh. It's, it's not good for my soul watching as much. And, and I watch... Um, you know, I watch a station that that leans towards the way I lean. So I'm watching at MSNBC, and it's like I, I, I've got to not watch because it's constant. You know, the negativity involved and the constant uh, Donald Trump. You know, just vomiting. Uh, you know, over the airwaves, and it's it's re- fascinating. It's fascinating, but I, I gotta I gotta go back and watch uh, Housewives of Beverly Hills just to calm down. You know. Well, speaking of politicians or those who want to be in politics behaving badly, uh, last week, President Obama had made an announcement that he'd like to nominate Judge Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court. And uh, Republican senators and politicians had a reaction to that. I mean, well, I think they've had a reaction since um, Justice Scalia had passed away in which they would say they they had always said that they would try to block him or uh, delay, uh, you know, the the whole appointment until, uh, I guess, a new president comes to term. It's been negative since Obama got into the office. 
That's that, right. Uh, obstruction. Okay, don't get me started. See what you're doing? All right. Well, See then you. let's let's start the program. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So touching on the negativity of United States politicians, and uh, I should say especially the conservative ones, um, let's, let's go ahead and have this discussion about President Obama and his nomination of Judge Merrick Garland and, and how that applies to the LGBTQ community. Our guest today is Stacey Long-Simmons, who's with the National LGBTQ Task Force. She's the Director of Public Policy and Government Affairs. Stacey, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Michelle, for having me. So let's talk about this. I mean, it, unfortunately, upon Justice Scalia's death, uh, Republican senators uh, and uh, politicians have already been calling for a delayed tactic or strategy when it comes to President Obama and a, uh, a nomination. So we've heard from President Obama just last week that he'd like to nominate uh, Judge Merrick Garland. Uh, talk to us about uh, the National LGBTQ's task force's uh, efforts to call attention to the, the bad behaviors of the senators and to hopefully change their minds and allow for the nomination to take place. Right. Thank you so much. Absolutely. One of the things that is so important for your listeners to understand is that this process has become stalled because the Senate leadership is really taking their unprecedented and destructive step of refusing to give fair consideration to any Supreme Court nomination that comes from this president. They've already said that they want to wait until the next president is sworn into office, and they've sort of hung this on the notion of letting the people decide which actually just sort of ignores the fact that the people already decided to elect President Obama to two terms and that President Obama was exercising his constitutional duty in making the nomination. So, you know, as far back as um, February 23rd, the Judiciary Committee sent a letter to the leader, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the same Mitch McConnell who was on record of saying that their sole purpose was to make sure that he doesn't get anything done, he being President Obama. Obama. And this is just the latest um, example of that sort of obstructionist politics. And it's really damaging to our, to our democracy, to our government functioning fully and fairly to serve the American people. Absolutely. I mean, I think that as everyday Americans such as myself, when we talk about this over coffee, we all have opinions as to why, um, you know, conservative uh, politicians, Republican senators may uh, you know, basically behave in this way, as you had just said, uh, which is an obstruction of of justice, period. Uh, But what are your thoughts from, you know, policy standpoint or perception of even do these politicians even have any justification for doing this? Well, you know, I'd say no, uh, just quite frankly. There there is no justification for waiting nine months to... uh, have someone confirmed to the court. There's so much at stake. And, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community in particular recognizes how significant uh, the court has been in our lives in terms of the recent decisions that we we had with um, as far back as the Windsor decision and then more recently the Obergefell decision. And so to have uh, so many other issues that are at stake, including voting rights and reproductive rights and immigration, I mean, the list goes on. And to have the court not 
have its full composition of justices is just really, really detrimental. And there is no excuse. There really isn't. They've, they've actually, certain members um, who are refusing to move on this nomination have actually been on record of saying the exact opposite years ago when it was um, a reverse situation. So, um, you know, in other words, saying that they would move forward on a nomination and, and that there's no need to wait for a new president. So this is just uh, malarkey. Mm-hmm. Now, f- for those of us um, who may not fully understand the negative consequences of these stalling tactics, can you explain to us, you know, what can be the damaging uh, impact? I know that you had just mentioned a few bills that are at stake. Uh, explain to us, you know, is, is the stalling tactic, does that uh, also apply to the bills um, that we need to make a decision on? Sure. There are cases that are currently pending that are on the uh, current docket that involve voting rights, that involve affirmative action, that involve access to birth control, abortion access, and some labor issues. And we really, um, when we don't have a full composition of justices, what happens is there could be a 4-4 split. So four justices voting one way, another four voting another way. And so that would mean that the underlying court's decision would stand. So that could be something that's favorable, depending upon what the lower court decided. And without getting into details on each and every case, I'll just say that that's the the basic um, problem with not being able to have the swing vote in place. The ninth justice is the tiebreaker and the person who, uh, you know, has such an important role in terms of making sure that we can move forward uh, in terms of hearing from the highest court in our land. I mean, our system was set up in such a way that we would hear from nine justices, not that we'd be hearing from eight for the next, you know, remainder of the year until January. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, President Obama's nomination. I mean, as it applies to these senators who, um, you know, are engaged in this stalling tactic. I mean, what's the fear there? Because my understanding is that Judge Garland is more of a, I guess, you know, he's he's well praised on both sides, isn't he? Well, sure. I mean, he's definitely more than qualified, right? That that goes without saying. In fact, I think he was on the short list back in 2010 um, when there was another opening on the court. And so um, the, the fact that he has received um, uh, high marks from both conservatives and progressives means that um, he's probably more of a moderate candidate. And so um, we, though, have not really um, had an opportunity to fully look at his record. We track a lot of issues at the task force, right? Like I've mentioned a few of them. And so we want to go beyond just um, the few LGBT-related cases that he may have had a hand in um, ruling on that actually didn't deal with LGBT issues, but they happen to have LGBT plaintiffs in them. Um, We want to take our time researching uh, his background on these issues and sort of also um, allowing for the process. And again, to sort of go back to the process, this Judiciary Committee has an obligation to consider his nomination, give him a hearing, ask him questions, get a sense of what his thinking is in regard to a whole range of issues, and then once that process has happened, take a vote. 
And so there's really no reason for the delay because it doesn't mean that uh, merely giving him a hearing and a vote is, uh, you know, means that he's sort of going to skid on through. It's, uh, it's a process, and it, and it will take some time. And so we're also looking to that process to be able to take our time reviewing his past decisions, um, sort of paying attention to what responses he gives to questions from the committee. Um, but that committee's got to act. And I don't know if you saw it last week, Michelle, but we put out a really um, – uh, meme, a really important meme on social media, which has some pictures of uh, specific folks that we're leaning on. So Leader McConnell and Judiciary Chairman Grassley and also uh, Orrin Hatch from Utah. So we really want all of the members to be called. And I'm, you know, really excited um, to uh, invite your 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 listeners mm-hmm. to pick up the phone and call the Senate hotline and tell, tell those members to do their job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was My next follow-up question to that would be if you had somewhat of a temperature reading of, of you know, if, if, if you think that these um, senators and decision makers uh, are feeling the heat at all, whether through public and or you know, other politicians advising them to, to quit this. Uh, I, I, it almost sounds like, you know, childish behavior. It's yeah, it almost sounds like childish behavior. Well, let me just say, Michelle, that's not the first time I've heard a phrase like that with this Congress. Yeah. But I digress. <laughs> We're not talking about resolving the budget or anything else right now. We're just talking about the confirmation process. Um, I, I think that uh, it's clear that there are actually a few mixed messages going on, too. So um, there's different types of reasoning being given for uh, how to respond to this nomination. And so they're not singing from the same sheet of music on this. And that's, you know, kind of a weak spot um, on their part. And I think that the pressure is on. I mean, all of our groups, today's been a national day of action in terms of encouraging people to tell the Senate to do your job. Uh, you know, none of us gets to uh, collect a check without having to do something, you know, in order mm-hmm. to be able to get that check, and the Senate should be no different. And so we've been leaning on them for a while, but today was a specific day of action to really make sure that the public is engaged. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break right here, Stacy. but when we come back, I'd love to continue our discussion around this issue, so stay with us. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. 
Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me. Our guest today is Stacy Long-Simmons, who is the Director of Public Policy and Government Affairs uh, with the National LGBTQ Task Force. The organization has put out a, a national crawl, call, I should say, um, for us to engage senators in urging them to accept President Obama's nomination of Judge Merrick Garland and to just quit with these childish games. <laughs> Those are my words, not theirs. Um, Stacy, so, you know, let's talk about this uh, uh, the, the what about this? I don't know if it's a rumor, but that Senator Charles Grassley, a Republican of Iowa, who's also the chairman of the the Judiciary Committee, um, has made some public comment that he's he's agreeing to meet with Judge Garland. Is that a positive thing, or is it just another delay tactic, or what's going on there? Uh, well, I'd never say that having a meeting is um, a bad thing. Um, but the question is, is this just a courtesy meeting, or is this a meeting where he's actually talking to the nominee and giving him a date certain for scheduling the hearing? Yeah. <laughs> I think that the, the nominee would like to, and the, the, you know, the people of, of our country would like to have the, the hearing scheduled so that we can all um, be engaged around his qualifications to take that seat on the court. And so, you know, yeah, it's, it's great that they're having a meeting, but, uh, um, you know, it should be more than just lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, I have plenty of meetings about meetings about other meetings. <laughs> before. <laughs> I, I know I know a lot of us know what that's like. Um, and there's been a you know handful of other U.S. senators who said they'd sit down with him. So that's a whole lot of meetings and uh, not a lot of meaning in my <laughs> opinion. Um, if we can touch base a little bit in terms of your opinions regarding President Obama's nomination, I know you mentioned right before the break that, you know, the task force is going to take their time in terms of, uh, you know, doing some research behind uh, Judge uh, Merrick Garland. Um, but there are also some rumors or some other names of people who were who may have been included in President Obama's shortlist and even, uh, you know, progressive uh, I should say, politicians who've come out um, to to oppose President Obama's choice. You know, kind of let's let's play into that and let's talk about that. Would we have liked to see a much more progressive candidate or do you do you think that, you know, this decision or this nomination is also play into, you know, uh, the Republican hands a little bit? Well, I mean, I I think 
I, I certainly don't want to second guess um, the president's pick on this particular candidate because, as I say, we don't know um, uh, much about uh, what his record would be on some of these issues. I, I don't, I don't sort of view uh, just for the sake of this person is a conservative and this person is a liberal that mm-hmm. you can actually get the kind of vote or outcome that you want. We've gotten great votes from some conservatives, and we've gotten bad votes from people who are labeled as liberals. And so for me, it's not about, it goes beyond sort of the, the, the label that is applied to a particular nomination. I mean, the president certainly has had an unparalleled track record when it comes to um, appointments to the federal bench, as well as um, to uh, uh, people who are in his administration representing the interests of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. And all of the progress that we've made over the years um, has just been um, historical. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the thing that, that we're focused on, of course, as I said earlier, is just giving this, this candidate a fair hearing and um, giving us an opportunity uh, to fill the court. And then that court down the road looking at issues that, you know, there could be a case on public accommodations or bathroom access that bubbles up to the Supreme Court level. And we want, uh, uh, you know, fair-minded individuals sitting on that court considering those issues. Um, And we want, uh, you know, certain questions around employment protections and other unfinished business that our community has sort of still on our to-do list, right? Right, right. And I think, think, you know, and and just confirming what you had said over and over in uh, this conversation that we're having is the fact that when you have United States senators who are behaving this negatively, who are holding up, you know, actual work that we can be doing, um, how do we hold people accountable for that? I mean, the people of America need to really understand what's happening here. And what we're calling attention to uh, is this bad behavior that's preventing both parties from moving forward. I should say not both parties. I should say this country. Yeah, no. I, so one thing I want to do is let your listeners know that they can visit our website, thetaskforce.org, thetaskforce, all one word, dot org, and also follow us on Twitter, at the task force, at the task force, all one word. And, you know, we've got information on our website. Um, I'm happy to share the Senate hotline, which is one 855 Four or five, and people should call their senators and find out where they stand. Make sure that your senator is not one of the ones who's obstructing things. And and you know if they're if they're not obstructing things, just make sure they're doing everything they can to support having this nominee get a fair hearing. And what do you you know? And this is just kind of more of an opinionated question. Um, but it, you know, do you think that? Yeah, we will put so much pressure that the, the, the senators will do the right thing? Or what, what's your feelings in terms of the outcome of, of this? I think that there will, I think that, that there's definitely change in the air and that there is actually a movement of people who are frustrated with inaction. And one of the things that we are proud to be a part of is a democracy awakening mobilization that's happening in April, uh, April 16th through the 18th. And there are over 200 organizations that are from a diverse uh, group of movements, so environmental groups, labor groups, LGBT groups, a whole range of interests, and we're all coming together to get a working democracy in place. 
We're tired of voting rights and obstructionism. We're tired of money um, calling the shots in terms of how our elections happen and how people are represented um, by those who are elected into office. And so that convening, that democracy awakening, is going to include teach-ins and demonstrations and direct actions and a rally uh, in Washington, D.C., and then a day of action where we're actually going to do something um, that is nonviolent direct action and advocacy on the Hill, so pressing for a Congress of conscience so that they don't just waste our time and languish around while people's lives are at stake. Mm-hmm. I want to add to that before we let you go the important work that the task force is working on and not just calling not just this very one specific situation and calling attention to U.S. senators regarding President Obama's nomination of Judge Merrick Garland. But, uh, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you anyway about where the country's going as far as uh, uh, LGBTQ equality legislation and something that you, you, I don't maybe we haven't been talking enough about it because we're still in the whole post-marriage equality celebration haze. But there are, you know, active bills out there um, slowly building up that are anti-LGBT. Can we safely say that? Oh, absolutely. A lot of them, (laughs) excuse me, a lot of them are called religious freedom bills. They're called bills that are you know, protecting religious rights, and they're really just discrimination um, under the guise of religious freedom. There have been over 100 or so introduced. What, what state, in your opinion, is, uh, you know, most successful in, in kind of passing these bills? And then, and then the follow-up question to that is, we know uh, Georgia has been in the news lately. Um, if you could speak a little bit to that before we let you go, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So the state work is is not my direct bailiwick. I want to invite you to have one of my colleagues on okay. for a future tele uh, radio show so that he, so that they can talk directly about that. I do know that in Georgia, what we want is a veto from the governor, and so anyone who's in Georgia within uh, earshot, anyone with relatives in Georgia, they need to be leaning on that governor and urging him to veto that atrocious bill. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I would say that uh, you're absolutely right in the religious freedom bills, although sometimes it might seem like it's just being kind of, um, you know, thrown under the rug. But if everyone remembers Indiana and Governor Mike Pence and the big, um, you know, public outcry over a uh, religious freedom bill that they had tried to pass uh, last year, they're, they're, they've made some news as well uh, in this year in which a different version of the bill may have... Um, may have been passed. Um, as we wind down, Stacey, I, I, you know, if we could have some last words in terms of the general, your general uh, overall perspective as far as like the work that you do, uh, you know, as far as government affairs and politicians. I mean, I would say that we are headed in a, a good direction, um, I guess, unless we elect Donald Trump as president. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> We're not partisan, though, so I don't have a position right. on 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 that. On that, I do have concern that that particular candidate has been certainly uh, making some problematic and troubling and offensive comments. Yes, yes, uh, you're absolutely right. But but I think you know from the work that you do for that whole perspective, though. Um, it, it there are more what I'm trying to say is I, I, I do believe that there are more LGBTQ uh, supportive politicians 
who are, you know, working to ensure that that equality moves forward. It's not where we were 10 years ago, I would say. No, progress has been swift and it has been vast. And I think that the work of the task force is to continue the momentum and to share some of the um, political power that we have gained as a community, sort of sharing the spotlight that we have to uh, focus on other issues like criminal justice, which impacts our community as well. Um, Income inequality impacts our community as well. Uh, What's happened at Flint is absolutely despicable and, uh, you know, unacceptable. And so where is the space where we're having the conversation about LGBTQ rights and environmental injustice? And so I I certainly hope, Michelle, you'll have us back on the show. We really would love to share with you some of the work that we're doing um, to advance equality and justice for the LGBTQ rights movement. You got it, Stacey. Well, thank you for joining us today and for walking us through the the, the call to attention for U.S. senators to step up and uh, not block the president's nomination of Judge Merrick Garland. So thank you, Stacey. Thank you, Michelle. Bye-bye. For, all infor- for more information or to follow the work of the task force, you can visit thetaskforce.org. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The show continues after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at facebook.com slash progressive voices. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. The spotlight on success and achievement goes to LGBTQI members of the Bay Area who have demonstrated an incredible amount of success. We're very proud to announce that this month's spotlight on success and achievement is Rick Welts. Well, it's been an unbelievable stretch of time, obviously. Uh, Everything the Warriors have gone through this season, really a magical season that ended in a championship. and now to, to top it off a week later with the opportunity to participate in the Pride Parade in San Francisco, it's a, it's a pretty wonderful time. You know, it's been a journey, right? We're all on our own personal journeys and uh, the last four years has been a remarkable part of my life, but it, it's definitely a part of my life. Uh, you know, the decisions I made four years ago to come out in the way that I did, obviously, you know, I had decided I was signing up for something going forward and being part of the discussion. Uh, and, you know, I welcome that. And this is, uh, you know, for me, a real honor to, to be participating in this way. And 
I guess in, in some ways it, it will be a demonstration of how far professional sports has come in, in a very short period of time, uh, not as far as our society has come, so I think we have a lot to celebrate. Wow, I, I don't think I have any secrets. I don't think I'm that mysterious. You know, I've got a uh, pretty simple life. I like pretty simple things. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a great partner. His name's Todd Gage. Uh, he has two wonderful children, a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. I, I uh, got off the parade route, got into a car with them. We drove to Lake Tahoe, and I got to watch 14-year-old girls play four soccer games over the course of the weekend and then drive back to the Bay Area. So that's my idea of an exciting weekend. You know, spending it with the kids and my partner and getting to do, you know, the most basic things that any family would get to do. Spotlight on success and achievement presented by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's the Michelle Meow Show, your A3Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And so, since we're covering everybody, we might as well focus on lesbians <laughs> in the second half of the program. Let's let's find out everything about lesbians, and hopefully, it's not all about sex. And let's just put it that way: it's not. It's never always about sex. Our guest posts for Hello Giggles and has some awesome articles that definitely got me laughing and also giggling and crying at all at the same time. I'd like to welcome Jill Layton to the program. Jill, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. So this uh, first article I want to touch on is um, 10 questions you're afraid to ask about your first lesbian relationship. Uh, I connected yeah. with it immediately because I wish this article was around uh, three, four years ago when I got with, with my girlfriend who had never dated a girl before. <laughs> right. Three to four years ago, I was dating men, so couldn't help you there. All right. So let's talk right. about you very quickly. Um, yes. you, you, like you just mentioned, you're dating guys, so, which means then you, you have a first yourself. Yeah. I mean, my first relationship, I ended up, my first female relationship, I ended up marrying her. So she's my wife. Wow. Um, but yeah, but I, you know, I dated men for a long time and never really had a solid relationship where I felt like, you know what, I'm going to marry this guy. And I felt like something was just kind of off. So when I turned 30, I was like, hey, let's try this girl stuff. <laughs> I had tons of I had I had tons of lesbian friends. My mm -hmm. sister is a lesbian. Grew up with lots of family members who are gay. So it was I was always around it, but I I never thought that I was gay or could be or wanted to be nothing. It just never really crossed my mind. So when it did, then it did. You know, when I when it crossed my mind, I was like, "Okay, yeah, this is it for me." So how did you meet your now wife? It's super cliche. We met at the Abbey in West Hollywood. <laughs> um, don't make fun of me, but that's what happened. I went there with some friends. Wasn't expecting to meet anybody, but I, you know, I just turned 30 and I was open to meeting somebody. So she was there. It was brunch time. So it like wasn't, wasn't like nighttime club atmosphere. Not but, that, that makes sense. But, but we know, we know brunch at the Abbey. Uh, brunch yeah. is really fun. <laughs> right. It's fun. And there's like, eggs happening so we I saw her from across the way and I said to my friend 
I was like, oh, my God, this pretty blonde girl over there is waving at me. And she was like, yeah, she's waving at me. She's my friend. I know her. I was like, oh, okay, great. So we, we met and talked and laughed and liked each other. And then we got married the next day. Just kidding. We didn't get married the next day. But I was you know, going like to say. A year and a half later, we got married. A year and a half later. And, it, I mean, I'm, we want to get to know you before we go through this article just because it makes a, I think it makes a lot of sense. But, like, you know, in that year and a half, I mean, obviously you fell very, very, very hard. You just, you, you knew this person was the one. I did, yes. I knew right away. I knew right away. It was a different feeling for me. Um, I, not only could I see myself with her forever, but she just, in the moment, I just felt, it, I felt complete, which I had never felt before. I mean, that's not to say I didn't feel complete on my own, but you know, when you're, when you want a relationship, you want a partner, you want someone who's going to make you feel more complete than you already do. And exactly. that's how she made me feel. Oh, that's so wonderful. Congratulations uh, to you and your Thank wife. You. That was a beautiful story. And uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to start with this because I feel like, well, you knew right away, but a lot of times when there are, you know, girls who are girlfriends with like lesbians, um, they don't always get the clues. Like I, I had to try to kiss my girlfriend. I think it was four times before she realized that I was trying to kiss her because I liked her more than just a friend. So this first question how do I know if a woman is interested me interested in me in a romantic way? Let's let's answer that question. So, I think that if you know if she's trying to kiss you four times or more or less, she's you know she's probably interested in you. If she's trying to kiss you on the mouth. I would say specifically, she's probably interested in you in a romantic way. But aside from just like romantic sexual advances i think i think that you you might just be able to pick up on the clues like if you if it feels more than just friendship then it probably is i guess Mm -hmm. i don't know i mean what was it like for you um i i think that she was like deeply in love and she just didn't know it and she she right. was in love with me, even just as my friend. Um, yeah. Uh, so I mean, she'll deny it <laughs> if she was here today. But like, I you know, it's six in the morning, and uh, she decides to play hooky from work, and then we're drinking scotch and and uh, diet coke or a Mac- yeah, it was a Macallan. So yeah, and um, and and I I I'm just in my mind. I'm like, well, who does that? I mean, who skips work to hang out with their lesbian bud and wants to get kind of tipsy early in the morning? Right. Um, so I tried to I tried to go in for the kiss, and uh, she moved away, and I was I was kind of confused. <laughs> and then she thought that I was trying to give her a hug, so she said that that's what she thought. Um, but but this leads to the the next question in uh, you know featured. In your article, I should say hellogiggles.com, but we're talking about 10 questions. Um, uh, sorry, 10 questions you're afraid to ask about your first lesbian relationship. So all the ones who are curious out there and who hasn't, you know, haven't tried it before. This next question is who pays? So before that kiss with my girlfriend, I was like, wow, it just seems like we keep going on these dates because it would just be her and I. And we'd go to these nice restaurants. So <laughs> let's talk about the who pays part. I think that in general, like a general rule of dating is whoever asks might pay or at least offer to pay. And if the other person 
feels up to it, then they do the reach. But, you know, yeah, whoever asks maybe does the paying. But if one person is always doing the asking, I think that you need to look at that a little bit closer because it might not be so much a two-sided situation. Like if you're always the one being like, hey, you want to grab drinks or you want to have dinner? And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, but never reciprocates or plans anything, then that might be more of an issue. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I love this one. Does one of us need to be more masculine? Uh, and, the, and, the, and the reason why is because I think when she started dating me, and I'm, I'm a nonconforming lesbian, so I identify as butch, she would definitely be like, can you throw out the trash? She still says that. And, you know, can you can you do some of the stuff that I find, like, completely disgusting? And I had to tell her one day, like, I may look masculine, but I cry more than you do. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Does one of us need to be more masculine? So if you're in a new lesbian relationship, what's the answer, Jill? Well, I think masculinity is subjective anyway. So... When you say that you cry more, I mean, I know tons of men who cry. My dad, for example, cries probably every day. Um, That's not true. When I say something super sweet, he cries. But, you know, I think, like, my wife and I are both girly, feminine. I don't know how to explain it. I guess feminine. Yeah. And I just took out the trash five minutes ago. Um, (laughs) She's in the kitchen cooking, but she'll also build things, fix things you know, do all the things, just, but it's just because I'm terrible at those things. And she's <laughs> yeah. really good at them. So I don't know that it has to do with gender norms, but I think ultimately if somebody is masculine and the other person is feminine, great. You don't have to be a certain way. And if two people are feminine, great. Two people are masculine, fantastic. You just be yourself. There's no, there's no rule. I love this next one. It's very important, and that's the sex part. <laughs> what if right. I don't know how uh, to do sex with a woman? And uh, I, I think the thought crossed, you know, my girlfriend's mind that the, the first time, because, well, first of all, it was kind of weird. We went from really good friends to, to being <laughs> naked. I feel like Dennis is my producer, <laughs> is my dad, so this is really weird talking about this right now. But... But what what was it like for you having uh, sex with your now wife for the first um, time? Were you, like, clueless? Okay. So I didn't tell my dad I was even doing this podcast, so I'm fine talking about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, was I clueless? Yeah, I mean, kind of. I, I hadn't even really watched lesbian porn before. And I honestly, I didn't even know gay man porn was a thing. Um which is weird to say, but I really, I just had never seen it. But, um, yeah, she talked me through it, and, I mean, I think I was pretty good at it, but you have to ask for that, I guess. <laughs> I think yeah, I was I mean, pretty good I, at it. <laughs> That's you so have awesome. To, uh, you, just, you just have to do it, and then, like, it just happens. Like, you, you know what to do. You know what parts are. Like, I'm a woman. I know what my parts are. She has the same parts. I know what feels good to me. And she, like, has a mouth and a voice. So she was able to tell me what feels good to her. But I think the key really is being open and communicative during, before, after. Um, like, even if you feel super awkward about it, chances are the other person feels super awkward about it. So, you know, like in the beginning stages of the relationship, um, being naked in front of somebody for the first time, 
is never super fun unless I guess you've been drinking scotch at morning. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a pre-story leading up to it, and I, I can tell okay. at a different time. But um, this, is, the next question is a good one, a follow-up to that. Uh, what if I hate sex with a woman? I mean, I, that's a valid question. Yeah. Yes, and I think it's important to remember that relationships aren't just about sex, but usually when you fall in love, the sex thing tends to fall into place, and if it doesn't, it could be that the person is just wrong for you, or maybe, you know, if this is your first relationship with a woman or first encounter with a woman, maybe you're just not into women. I don't know, but... Uh, you know, open communication, I think, is key for that. Because if you do end up falling in love with a woman or a man, really, and you're not into sex, the other person is going to want to talk about that because they don't. You don't want them to feel like it's them when really it's just you don't like sex. Right. Right. Well, you know, the the funny thing is, um, I had to tell my girlfriend that I'm not, I, you know, I'm not really big on oral sex. She was very surprised. She thought all lesbians love oral sex. And so she was just like tripping out. Like, should we go see a sex therapist? I was like, no. Should we tell your dad? Should we tell your dad to just plug his ears for a second? <laughs> He's got the headphones on high. Um, okay. All right, Jill, we got to take a quick break right here. But when we come back, let's finish up and, and uh, talk about the, the last few questions that one might have. Uh, from dating a girl for the first time if you're uh, also a woman. So don't go away. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Progressive Voices. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boys came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. 
be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Michelle Meow Show. Our guest is Jill Layton. She's got a wonderful article that's featured on uh, HelloGiggles.com. And basically, you know, it's 10 questions you're afraid to ask about your first lesbian relationship if you're in a lesbian relationship. relationship and I'm having I'm having a lot of fun going through these questions because I connect with it so much. Um uh, so Jill, we are we are at uh number 6. Do I need protection for girl on girl sex? This is also a valid question by the way because I think that for a lot of women who have sex with women for the first time, I mean there's this um I think that there's this myth that uh, you don't need uh protection. Right. And you need to be smart because it's still sex. Like your vagina is still touching. Can I say vagina? It's still touching another person's vagina. (laughs) You can say vagina. You can say oyster, (laughs) whatever you want. (laughs) You don't know. You don't know where she's been and what's going on down there. So, you know, an awkward question always is, do you have any STDs? But um, there's probably better ways of asking that question. Um, I know that some some people, you know, I'm a I'm a rather new lesbian lady, so <laughs> I I don't really know about dental dams firsthand, but I know that it's a thing or was a thing. Um, and I, when I was writing this article, I had we had friends in town, lesbians from the East Coast, and they were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Dental dams are not a thing. Nobody uses them." So. Of course, I had to include it, but, you know, maybe you can touch on that because I've never seen one in person. Oh, wait, wait. You want me to teach you how to use a dental dam on no, the air? No, I don't want you to teach me. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me maybe, like, do you, have you used one ever and does it work and what, is it gross? What happened? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the right person to ask. Okay. Just mainly because, because I'm no one is. I'm, nobody I, uses them. Yeah, I, I'm just really shy about it. But but yeah, and um, I mean I'm shy about sex, and I, I haven't had a lot of sexual partners. Um, I guess compared to a lot of people in my social circle, but uh, <laughs> I'm pretty monogamous, you girl. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's like uh, most of my relationships were you know five years plus, and I've only had. Uh, yeah, yeah, a handful of girlfriends, maybe, if not less. <laughs> yeah. But I will tell you, I think that the use of condoms, especially if you're using um, 
Sex toys uh, are definitely a must if you're not in a monogamous relationship. And dental dams, I mean, although they can be cumbersome, it's like a big fat sheet of, uh, you know, a condom basically cut open. Um, so if you're using it for oral sex, it can be, taste nasty. <laughs> I couldn't even think of, you know, putting my mouth on a piece of latex thing with, mm-hmm. like, lubricants and things like that. Um, uh, but... <laughs> Um, but you know, I, 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 some women have told me that, you know, they'll use like saran wrap, uh, that, (laughs) oh my gosh, (laughs) oh my gosh, my, my producer, my dad producer is super weird. I know, but I just, I just, I've heard some people, uh, say that they, they like to use aluminum foil and you know, I'm not Ah, sure, Uh, but anyway, I, I urge anyone who's listening to the program who has a, an actual inquiry or a question about lesbian sex, there are very many resources if you search Google.com. <laughs> yes, um, Google. Yes, Google it. Uh, okay, so let's let's move on to this part. Okay, and I'm interested to find out your, I mean, you have an answer on the article, but you mentioned earlier that after a year and a half, you and your your wife, you you know, you got married. Uh, you met her at a at the Abbey in West Hollywood, and you knew that she was the one. Number seven says, "Do we need to move in together after three dates?" I'm interested to hear your your personal answer, and then you can answer it from, uh, I guess, uh, a, a from the article. Okay, so the old joke: What it was not bring on her third date a U-Haul. So it's it's a joke for a reason because it's not that three dates is true, but lesbians tend to move in together quickly. All my girlfriends who are lesbians move in with their girlfriends within, I'd say, a few months. I moved in with my wife. Well, she was my then-girlfriend. I think we moved in together after, like, six months, maybe. Um, You know, when you're spending so much time together, it just makes sense. And for me, she was living in Orange County, and I was living in West Hollywood. So, the commute was a pain, but ultimately, no, you don't. You don't need to move in together after three dates. Take your time. You, you, you. Do what you feel is best. Oh yeah, living with another human being is so hard. Uh, I found out yeah. some things about my girlfriend who I love so much, but uh, you know, I, I know that she wants to, uh, to probably cut my neck off um you know for leaving my socks around or i don't know i have supposedly i have really bad habits but anyway moving on eight well i feel i feel weird about holding hands with a woman in public this is this is also a very valid question um yeah i don't you know yeah let's talk about that yeah i and i it's not that i was worried about this but it's definitely something that was on my mind i'm not a I'm not into PDA whether I was dating a man or a woman, but for my wife and I, we both are, have blonde hair. We both have blue eyes. We're both white. So to a lot of people, that means we're identical twins. And we're not because that's weird, but we have, like, similar feature, features if you're a stranger, I guess. So people always think we're sisters. So And they ask us, like, straight up we'll say, are you guys twins? So when we hold hands, it just... I don't know, we get looks and it just, it feels, a lot of times it just feels like, you know what, I just, it's not worth it right now. It's not worth it to like be stared at when we could be totally fine not holding hands. Does that make sense? Even though like, I hate to even say that. I hate to let anybody else win or dictate how I am with my wife, but I think that's just the reality of it. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely uh, acceptable, and that's true. That's fair. Um, I don't. I also don't like PDA, and it worried my girlfriend for a long time that I, I didn't want to. I I don't know holding hands and all that stuff, um, because she she always wants to show PDA, and uh, but but at the same time, so we're both Asian uh, women, so sometimes when we hold hands, people will like give us the the peace sign, like we're tourists. <laughs> Hilarious. We live in San Francisco, so. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. yeah. See, they think you're like sisters or best friends yeah. walking down the street getting lost. So I think holding hands is a good thing. Um, uh, so nine, how do I tell my family? This is very, very, very important because by the our third month dating, it became uh, you know, topic of our conversation over dinner like many times. Um, that's Sometimes it can be the hardest part. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you don't want to live a lie, but if you're also, you know, this is your first relationship, you're still probably figuring this part out about yourself. And for me, it, it happened so quickly where I realized this thing about myself and wanted to act on it and just was totally fine. You know, I was living in Hollywood, so I was surrounded by gay people and it was totally fine for me. I know that it's, that's not the case for everyone. Um, for me, I just, I just said it out loud and I probably made some sort of joke about it to my dad. Um, and then I was like, yeah, funny. No, but I'm serious. And so then people started taking me seriously and it was just, it just kind of happened. But yeah, you know, so for, Den- Dennis, for our producer people. wants to chime in here. Well, well here's yeah. the thing. You know, I'm, I'm thinking I don't hear the stigma with women coming out to their families. And to, and to be honest, I don't hear a lot of stories about that. You know, you, the two of you sharing this is interesting, but not the stigma that a lot of, that a lot of men have coming out to their families and how awful or, you know, sometimes so relieving to them that the, the family's like, yeah, so what we knew or so what, but you know, you hear horrible stories about gay men coming out to their families. I don't ever hear anything about lesbians coming out. Uh, it's there. It's definitely there, um, especially in, in non-conforming relationships or if you just look, uh, you know, a certain way. And I, I don't want to generalize all, you know, relationships within the LGBTQI community. So it, it can be different. The, 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 the best advice that I can give someone if you know, so, you know, a person who's coming out or uh, plans to come out is uh, there are lots of resources out there to help you. But look for a support group before you you do it if you're afraid you know yeah. and that would mean you know friends or or family members who are uh you know uh, supportive um yeah Absolutely. i don't Absolutely. yeah I don't, I, there's no way that i would have been able to come out as easily as i did had i not had the support of my friends and since my sister is a lesbian and came out 10 years before me my i already knew how my family would react so it was sort of just kind of already laid out for me mm-hmm. and, and and I would say if, if you're in a really healthy relationship and really love this person I mean it's really hard to deny you that right to be with whoever you want if if your family loves you so hopefully uh, there's that uh, support group now we only got a couple minutes left and I really love the last question <laughs> I think it's the <laughs> best question ever and that's 10 will our periods sink duh duh yeah. well okay so I mean, obviously, everybody's body is different. I, in the article, I wrote, duh, because my wife and I, our periods 
think, but, and I got some hate mail from people being like, my period didn't sync with my girlfriend. I'm like, okay, calm down. It's generalization. But yeah, spending time, spending a significant amount of time with another woman, whether it's your mom, your sister, your best friend, or your, your girlfriend. Yeah, that's what happens. And then I'm going to tell you a little story real quick. This is, and it's probably too much information, but so we've been trying to get my wife pregnant for a long time. And we, this past month, she was on high doses of hormones. And my period right now is 18 days late because of her hormone situation. Whoa. Yeah, like that's legit period thinking. I am glad you have that connection. And again, congratulations to you and your wife. And thank you so much for this article and for putting stuff out there that that isn't necessarily all the, you know, stereotypical uh, lesbian stuff. So, Jill, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. For more information or to follow Jill and her work, you can head to HelloGiggles.com. Search Jill Layton. That's it for the program. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, here on the Progressive Voices Network.